When I was in high school, I was part of a small group uh, that decided to embark on a disciplined study of the Bible. Not that we were not serious before, but we thought we could always be a little more serious about Bible reading. And so we began to use a devotional called The Cross Trainer. It had a drawing on the front of a muscular man, power lifting a cross above his head. And the numerous pages between the covers were very simple. Each page had the verses that you were to read each day. The object was to get through the Bible in a year and then space to write your reflections down. It seemed perfect for high school guys looking to build up their spiritual muscles. And the verse on the front cover read, Take up your cross daily. And true to its promise, the daily workout proved to be a total burden that we longed to have lifted. We just never admitted it to one another. And so several months into it, I concluded that I just wasn't cut out for radical discipleship. I felt that I was incapable of taking up my cross daily. Is this what Jesus is saying to us this morning? If you are to be my disciple, then you must become radically disciplined about getting rid of those things that hinder your spiritual life. And begin to develop those things that will benefit you spiritually. What does Jesus mean when he says that we must take up our cross and that we must die to ourselves? Gerhard Forday observes that we have a rather incurable tendency always to refuse to really listen to the Word of God and instead to translate them immediately into something we are going to do indeed can do. This is what we always do with the law. We take it and translate it into a do-it-yourself kit for salvation. It is as though we think we are going to do God a big favor by living up to what is demanded of us and even possibly put Him out of the salvation business by accomplishing all or at least some of it ourselves, even if that turns out to be just a teeny-weeny little bit. And this is exactly what I was trying to do through my cross-training efforts and what many Christians do in their daily walk with the Lord. They attempt to translate this very passage from Mark's Gospel we have this morning into a program for radical discipleship. But let's take a moment and actually look at this passage from Mark and see what's going on here. This is not a call to radical discipleship. If by that you mean to examine your life and then enumerate those areas in which you haven't given fully over to the Lord Jesus. This is not radical in the least. It is simply asking Jesus to fix those areas of your life that are in need of fixing, as you see it. What makes what what Jesus says to us this morning radical is that by coming to him, You are not just giving over parts of your life to Him, but you're giving your whole life over to Him. There is not one area of your life that is not under scrutiny. There is not one area of your life that is not in need of redemption. It's not only parts of your life that need to be saved, but all of you. In fact, the cross is an attack on the whole self. Jesus died for you, in total, not just 
what we might consider the bad parts of ourselves. Jesus says that we must place our whole lives on the block, and then we too have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. If it were so, and sin was a small thing that we could master through self-discipline, then why is it that many of us continue to struggle with the very sins that we struggled with before we were Christians? Why is it that so many of our hearts shrink in fear when we are told that your life is the only Bible some people may read? When I hear the conversion of a soul may rest on the testimony of my well-behaved, reformed life, I think, Lord, have mercy. Is this what Jesus is asking of us? Is he calling us to live a worthy life so that those in the world might see more of him? Yes and no. What our lives ought to reflect as Christians is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If someone who is a non-Christian sees anything, it ought to be the deep abiding faith of a sinner saved by grace. When the world rails against the church saying that it is full of hypocrites, you and I can agree wholeheartedly. Because that's who it is that Jesus saves. It has been rightly said that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a country club for the righteous. And this being true, if one wanted to find a miserable offender and a hypocrite, they need not look any further than your preacher this morning. But I can say this unashamedly. Because I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and no longer live unto myself, but to Jesus Christ. But the non-Christian asks, how can this be possible? A Christian who admits that they struggle against sin? Well, to find the answer, we need only look to our gospel this morning at Simon Peter. Impetuous Simon Peter. Just a few verses prior, Peter, in the midst of pagan Caesarea Philippi, declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And now, just verses later, Peter takes Jesus aside after the Lord declares that he must be handed over to suffering and death. And Peter responds, surely not, Lord, immediately eliciting a strong rebuke from Jesus Get behind me, Satan. From premier discipleship to the ranks of the deceiver in a matter of verses. And this would not be the only time Peter would declare his allegiance to Jesus unto death, but runs when Jesus is arrested and denies the Lord three times, even once to a little girl. Jesus told Peter that he was not setting his thing on the mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Peter's life does not seem to reflect a discipleship marked by the mastery over those obvious sins in his life. Why doesn't he just try a little harder? All he really needs to do is to keep his big mouth shut. But he can't. The problem with Peter is Peter. The problem with you and me is staring right back at us in the mirror. And the solution is that Jesus Christ must die And that we too must have our lives crucified. We must die to be holy His. 
When I was in the third grade, I smuggled a remote control car into class. Um, it was one of those great one with the big radial tires, the off-road remote control car. And it was toward the end of day. Uh, the teacher looked the other way and allowed us to play with it during recess. But at the very end of the day, uh, we were playing with it, and I was pulling it around, and I turned to the side, and my deskmate, Jeff Beatty, I will name names, picked it up, and he placed it on top of my head and put it in forward. Now, my hair, believe it or not, was even more full and luscious and lovely uh, than it is now, and immediately the car became entangled in my hair. And I and Jeff thought, well, the obvious solution is to put it in reverse, to undo the forward. Uh, Needless to say, I went home with this remote control car on my head. Uh, The whole bus ride, I walked uh, the long walk from the bus stop to my house where I walked into the kitchen uh, with nothing to say because the guilt was on me, uh, literally. uh, And my mother just looked at me and she walked over to the kitchen drawer, opened the kitchen drawer, took out a pair of scissors and walked over and cut the car out of my hair and then grabbed my face and kissed me and she said, I love you. Now she had every right to say, how did this happen? (laughs) What were you thinking? Uh, But you see, I tried everything to get that car out of my head. Um, I tried radical discipleship. But what needed to happen was uh, there needed to be a sacrifice. Uh, There needed to be death uh, to something that was very precious and continues to be to me, my hair. (laughs) Now that's very trivial, but doesn't it show uh, that a radical problem requires a radical uh, solution? And that is Jesus' death on the cross. And in spite of our best efforts to get fit, to get rid of the problem... They're fruitless and in fact remind us of how bad things are. But this death is not the end. There is a resurrection and you have a new life. A life rooted in Jesus Christ. You don't have just a scrubbed up heart. But God has created in you a new heart. But what is different? It sounds like Peter didn't change much throughout his life. Where was his transformation? The transformation in Peter's life, your life... My life is this. With a new heart comes a new affection. The affection is no longer for ourselves, but for Jesus. This doesn't mean that we won't sin or struggle with sin. Quite the contrary, the struggle will be greater. Before you became a Christian, you hardly struggled with sin. You thought nothing of it. It was called Saturday night. If you felt bad about anything, it was the consequences that followed, but not really sin itself. Sin didn't bother you in the least. But when you became a Christian, all of a sudden those things that seemed small had grown very large in light of God's law. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. But you grieve not only then for the consequences of sin, but over sin itself. You don't want to be the person you are. You want to be different. You want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And in your struggle, you cry out like St. Paul, Who will rescue me from this body of death? This is the cry of a Christian. It turns out that the battle against sin and the flesh is a fruit of your redemption. And in your struggle, 
You look not to yourself, but to Jesus in whom there is no condemnation. But there is victory, there is promise, there is deliverance. It is in him, not in your own attempts to be a better person, that Jesus enters in and does this work. You have lost your life for the sake of the gospel and Jesus. It is because of his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection, this good news which is the only cure for your condition, that you and I are able to become disciples. As Joseph Hart, the great hymnist, put it in his hymn, Come ye sinners poor and needy, let not your conscience make you linger, not of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, This he gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. Taking up your cross and dying to self is not a program for spiritual fulfillment, but a surrender of your life to Jesus Christ, who gives you a new life. This morning, surrender. Die to self by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come and get lost in his mercy, and find rest in his grace. Amen.